0: Hey guys, it's Em. Before today's episode, I just wanted to take a minute to tell you all about a podcast that I've recently started listening to. As a self-professed true crime addict, I'm always looking for new podcasts to listen to while I'm getting ready in the morning, driving to work, cooking, pretty much doing anything. Next Stop Gypsy is the newest addition onto my Rolodex of true crime podcasts that I absolutely love. Go ahead and check it out. Come check out Next Stop Gypsy. Each episode takes place in some of America's most haunted, crime-riddled, or downright terrifying locations. I'll take you through the history, the deaths, and of course the ghosts that are associated with each spooky location. Follow along on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you already listen. You don't want to miss Next Stop Gypsy, the most haunted podcast in town. Welcome to This Shit Really Happened, the true crime podcast where we deep dive into the most disturbing, depraved, and downright gruesome true crimes in history. And I'm apparently already boring <laughs> Autumn. Which it is
1: 8.59. I'm a grandma. You know that. Uh, yeah, we started really late. Um, I was up at also 6 a.m. I totally forgot to say that I'm Em. <laughs> <And>
0: I'm Autumn. <laughs> and I'm assuming most of you listening right now already know who we are. But if you don't, if this is your first time, first off, hi. Hey. Secondly, welcome. Thirdly, we're your hosts, and we're back,
1: and with, we're back uh, with part, part two. two.
0: Yes, part two of Albert Fish. Oh, that's fucked up. Poopy and if you guys are.
1: Oh, the, <laughs> the poopy motherfucker. He was. Dude, I. Like, I'm still mind blown that he's just like, let me catch the shit coming out of that ass. I into don't want to
0: remember that. <laughs> I don't want to remember that anymore because, frankly, that was traumatizing. And if you guys are coming fresh. Uh, fresh. And you, <laughs>
1: Insert gag noise. Insert <laughs> gag noise here. Oh <laughs> insert my- insert the, the cat meme. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> we were using it for cough, but also could be for But gag- also could definitely be for,
0: for gagging. I just got a flashback to when you were reading that excerpt from... Me, oh my god, but better. if you guys are you know coming here having just listened to part one... Um, sorry. Yeah, no, first <laughs> and foremost, sorry, but... Um, yeah, this is a, this is gonna basically just pick up where we left off, um. It's
1: gonna be less, sorry, yawning, because I'm, was up at 6 a.m. Yeah, we,
0: we both worked all day, and it's now 9 o'clock, so it's a little late for us. We're, uh, we can't stay up late anymore, we're not some, we're not some youngins anymore Mm -hmm. like we used to be. I used to- Us in our 20s? In our li-
1: <laughs> late. our teenage years. Dude. <laughs> Bored us. But we're, we're
0: now officially in our late 20s. Please shut the fuck up. We are in our late- We are closer to 30 now than we are to 20. I just want you to know we're about to be 27 in six months. Oh my god, I'm literally gonna jump off a fucking cliff. Not- Not really. Not really. I really <laughs> might. I really <laughs> might. On the other hand, we might need to be a little bit- more. a little uh, no, but that's crazy. <laughs> I just always perpetually feel like I'm just, like, 20 years old forever. Like, Literally. I was, like,
1: when did this happen? I feel like I'm still 21. Yes,
0: that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, I do not feel like I'm 26 years old. It's probably because I still feel like I'm a chicken with my head cut off just running around. Honestly, no. Like, the imposter syndrome is so mm. real. I'm like what, like, what am I doing here? Sometimes I'll just be, like, sitting at my desk at work, and I'm like, w- literally, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, am I a grown-up? <laughs> Am I right? I'm like, I have people that I'm technically, like, their boss? Like, how did I get here? How did I get here? No, legitimately. It's an existential crisis in the middle of work. It's, yes, <laughs> and I'm just sitting there at my desk. I'm just, like, my eyes are, I'm just literally having a fucking moment. And we were picking up crossword puzzles
1: and Sudoku. Oh my god, literally went Target
0: and got- For the desk. <laughs> for, yes, got crosswords, or not crosswords, word searches and Sudoku books
1: I'm like, I'll play this they're at my so desk. Cute. They were only three bucks.
0: They were honestly really cute. They were super cute. They are over at the Target dollar spot, and they're like these.
1: What they're covers? They're like floral, but they're really cute. Yeah, they're super. They're cute. not like they're and not it's like, like a full the full book of
0: them. Yeah, they're not like the Sudoku or like the fucking crossword books that like your grandma does. Yeah, they're fun. They are, and they're super cute. And I'm excited about I'm it. Probably
1: it gonna do one when I get. Home I was
0: in the now. office all by myself today at my desk. Uh, she wasn't all alone. I was upstairs. Yeah, but if you came down to see me, what twice? <laughs> For, so, for the rest of you the time... You could have not and worked out near me. There's nobody over there. I didn't have my charger. And I actually had to get things done today. So... But I still felt lonely. And that... That's what I'm getting at. Is I needed something <laughs> entered to entertain me at my desk. Oh, also
1: another fun little tidbit in case you didn't know. Emily and I also low-key work together.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we're not going to say where because... <laughs> we got to keep some parts of our life secret. Yes. But we do work together. We work yes. in the same building. Um, But... Autumn works upstairs and I work downstairs, Mm -hmm. so our paths our paths don't cross very often. Usually we
1: take lunch at not the same hour. Yeah, no, today was just different. Today
0: was just different. Today we just you know had a little bit of a a different you know hangout kind of dealio. Mm -hmm. Went to Target, had to get some last minute and shopping done. Let me
1: tell you, it was a shit show, dude. It was so busy.
0: everywhere it w- i know it's literally we're like why the fuck is it so busy because it's people doing the exact same shit we were last and last the, many the, christmas the the shelves are
1: literally being like emptied yes especially yes. in the kids toy section crazy stripped bare mm-hmm. stripped bare i'm like okay well
0: <laughs> well <laughs> i guess i should have done this earlier <laughs> i know honestly i'm just glad that you know the gift i got die die. I say, like, she doesn't know what I'm getting her, and also, like, she listens to this fucking podcast. I know you don't listen to this fucking podcast, Diane. Um, And so, but she knows what I'm getting her, so it's not a surprise, but I'm not going to say, I'm only going to say that I got a 50% off, which is pretty rad. So, I'm excited about it. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Anyways, enough about that. Um, We're going to just, the cats are fighting. Um, that, that was stampede Carter. that you just heard was Carter and Bertie running. So, okay, another little bit more, you know, just information about our setup. We record in the middle of my dining room. So, the, you know, sound barriers. Non-existent. Non-existent. So, <laughs> we're gonna get background noise. I have three cats, as y'all probably pretty much know already. And Carter
1: was just chasing Birdie. Yeah, Carter is. And all of her
0: cats are fat as fuck. Hey. They're big boned, <laughs> bad as fuck. That's why it sounded like fucking
1: dogs. Yeah,
0: yeah. Here. I can't wait to listen to this back and, and like hear what that <laughs> actually sounded like. That's why you always hear like Lucas in the background and you know the cat's collars jingling. Mm-hmm. We were really tired, but we've we just recently got Autumn her own microphone. <laughs> Honestly, at
1: this point it is what it
0: is yeah for the longest time we were just recording with one microphone smack in the middle of us but
1: anyways <laughs> hey, we were... it was working
0: though i know i mean it, it, it works definitely perfectly fine. We, we made it work but now i just feel like you feel a little bit more official because you've got Oficiel. yourself yeah you've got yourself your own little microphone um yeah as as we were saying before the stampede happened um this is part two of Albert fish we're gonna just pick up <laughs> Not exactly right where we left off because we're gonna go back in time a little bit again. Um, but if you're not coming directly from part one, um, we yes, left part we one. Um, the last thing we talked about was the letter that um, Grace said, Bud's family received from Albert Fish on in yes. November of 1934, which I think was like six years yes, after Grace's years. abduction. So. You know, they received this letter, and we talked a little bit about in part one how this letter is actually the thing that gets Albert Fish finally caught. This is his demise. This is his demise. Um, So we're going to really deep dive into the investigation specifically. Like, there was one detective. His name was Detective William King. Like, he was really on top of his shit with this investigation. So we're going to talk about him. We're going to talk about what he did, how he tracked Albert Fish down, Um, get a little bit into, like, the trial, talk about that. Um. We're not going to talk, there's no more victims to talk about, we are going to be kind of going back and and referencing back to Grace Budd's case, just because that is, you know, the one that's most well known, it is what Albert Fish did actually get, like, put on trial for, he confessed to the murders of the two other boys, Francis McDonald and Billy Gaffney, um, to his attorney, but he was not put on trial for them, the only one he was put on trial for was Grace, so... That's really the one that we have the most information on, so that's the only one that we're going to be really touching on again in this episode. But to start off part two, we are going to take a step back a little, and we're going to go to September of 1930. So we talked about those letters that he would send women that he found in, like, the classifieds and in the, like, uh, marriage broker ads. So in September of 1930, he mailed another one of those obscene letters to a woman who was a professional housekeeper, and he found her name in the Situations Wanted section of the New York World. So again, he was just like perusing newspapers and just plucking random women's names out and writing them these fucking obscene ass letters. Ugh. So this woman's mm-hmm. name, um, she's a Mrs. E. Sola Reed of 245 East 40th Street. The second she got this letter understandably so, she takes it and she gives it to the police. Because she's like, "Mm, what the fuck? (laughs) Because I couldn't find any excerpts from this letter, but just going based off what we heard last episode, we can only... very similar. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. We can 110% guess that it was absolutely fucking vulgar, disgusting, Mm -hmm. and obscene. Mm -hmm. So she takes it to the police. Fish had actually signed the letter with a pseudonym. He signed it as Robert Fisk. He had actually, though, stupidly included his own return address on the letter. This motherfucker. Because his hope was that whatever woman was receiving this letter... Would actually, like, want to do it? Yeah. That they would be receptive to it. are you fucking kidding me? Are you reading what you're writing? Well, he's into it, so he's hoping maybe he'll get lucky and find a woman who's into it. And that she'll be receptive and that she'll write back to him. Nobody ever fucking wrote back to him. Um, so therefore, like after she turns it over to the police, it was stupidly easy for them to just go Mm -hmm. back and trace this letter to where it came from. So they go to that address and they immediately find him and they arrest him. Um, this was shortly before Thanksgiving in 1930. And after an examination by a court social worker who diagnosed Fish's mental condition as questionable, (laughs) Fish was taken and delivered to um, Bellevue Hospital, which is a psychiatric hospital, Mm -hmm. um, for observation. Fish had been on the ward for just over a week when he was interviewed by Dr. Attila LaGuardia, who was a young physician on Bellevue's psychiatric staff. LaGuardia began by asking Fish when he had first started writing obscene letters, and Fish explained that during the summer of 1929, He had been working as a handyman and a painter at a Harlem sanitarium run by a doctor named Dr. Robert Lamb. One day, according to Albert, Dr. Lamb's chauffeur discovered a cache of dirty letters in the sanitarium garage. And that same night read them aloud to a group of men, Fish among them, who had gathered for their evening card game in the chauffeur's room. So, hearing these letters, Fish claims, is what first puts the idea into his head to begin writing his own obscene letters to just poor random women that he plucked out of newspapers. He claimed that before this <laughs> occurrence, he never had any urge at all to write obscene letters. Which, I mean, I'm I'm calling
1: bullshit on that. <laughs> like, it, you, you don't just see one and you're like, hmm, yeah, I like Yeah, that. like, it's... It's, this is not one of those things where you can look at it and be like, yeah, I think I want to do that.
0: Yeah, it was, uh, this uh, makes me think of, um, I didn't include the first part of the letter about Grace Budd that her parents got. I might have, I can't remember if I talked about it or not. But the beginning of that letter, he had written about, and there was no way to, I'm pretty sure I did talk about this. But he had written about how he had met a man who had been, like, a soldier stationed in Hong Kong and said that this man told him that when he was living in Hong Kong, there was such a shortage of, like, food and, Mm. like, animals to butcher. Mm. Yeah, that they, he claimed that this man told him that they were... Child meat. Right, that they were butchering and eating children. And that's when he was saying, oh, that was the first time I ever had any interest in, like, cannibalizing a child. That is the
1: true definition of fuck them kids. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, (laughs) dude. That was him. No, that literally was him. Like, he
0: he just, he fucking lies about everything. Like, he lies about where these fetishes go. You, you can't take anything, he says. You gotta take it all with a grain of salt. Yeah. But So he claims that this was the first time that he ever had the thought or had the urge to write an obscene letter. During Fish's observation period in Bellevue, Dr. Minas A. Gregory noted um, that he had been, what they said, quiet and cooperative Mm -hmm. in the ward. And that he had, quote, conducted himself in an orderly and normal manner. So he's coming off like, that's another thing about Albert Fish is like, like Grace Budd's parents when they first met him, they said that he came off like very grandfatherly and very polite. because
1: serial killer.
0: What is this ASMR? Yes. <laughs> no, but that's <laughs> But that is true. Yeah, a lot of a lot of like sociopaths and psychopaths, they're so
1: well practiced at faking emotion. So, moral of the story, if you ever meet somebody who is overly charming, run. Run. No, seriously.
0: Get the fuck out of there. They're going to kill they're you.
1: They're probably going to kill they're you. They're going to kill you. There's like a
0: 90% chance. Honestly, just get out of there. Yeah, just. Run. And that just means be an asshole to everyone you meet, so no one thinks yes. you're serious. <laughs> be a raging cunt. <laughs> be a raging cunt. No, don't, don't, don't be a cunt to random people. But if they deserve it, go for it. Absolutely, if it's warranted.
1: Yes, exactly. But if they're overly charming, run, run. Yep, because they're probably a murderer. Anyways. Don't even be a cunt. Just run don't just run yeah don't even bother just say bye i'm (laughs) leaving goodbye (laughs) um
0: dr gregory also noted that there had been quote no evidence of delusional notions or hallucinatory experiences though it was noted that fish did show some evidence of early what what they called early senile changes which again (laughs) this is bullshit because we know that this man is knucking foots like his own children have been like yeah he's fucking crazy so the fact that he goes to like a psychiatric hospital and they're like he's not delusional, he's just fucking old and senile. It's like were y'all observing this the same man because mm-hmm. it, the math ain't mathin. It's now just not mathin', me the fuck out. It's not mathin'. So though they said that he had signs of early senile changes, they did say that his condition um was deemed at the present time to have not impaired his mentality nor his memory which was impressively intact they said for a man of his age so he's they're saying he's pretty much all there mentally great they did however determine that fish was undoubtedly suffering from some sort of sexual psychopathy so they basically just said he was a fucking pervert <laughs> he is not insane he is just a sexual pervert which, I, I find it hard to push the word insane onto him. Mm-hmm. Because I very much think he understood that what he was doing was wrong. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the, the crux, the basis of saying that somebody is insane or being able to use, like, insanity as a defense for murder for something mm-hmm. like this is on the basis that the person could not understand that what they were doing was wrong. But based on, like, his actions, I will get into a little bit later, like what he did with Grace Budd's body, he was very clearly sane and in his right mind when he was doing these things. He was just a fucking disgusting child predator. So, yeah, they, I mean, and the one thing I will give them at Bellevue, they said he's not insane. He's definitely a sexual pervert and a Mm -hmm. sexual psychopath, but he's not insane. So Fish remained at Bellevue for 30 days. To the nurses who observed him on the ward, he seemed polite and cooperative, though as the weeks wore on, Fish felt increasingly desperate for freedom. On January 5th, he mailed a letter to his eldest daughter, Anna. In an excerpt of this letter to Anna reads, quote, I am the only one here who does not receive a letter or a visitor. I have written to you, to Gertrude, Jean, Henry, none of you answer. I am three weeks here today. Now, Annie, do this for your poor old father. Write a letter to Dr. Gregory Bellevue Hospital as soon as you get this. Ask him in God's name to send me back to court. You know, the sooner I get my sentence, the sooner I am back home. Don't fail me now. Love to you all from Papa.
1: So no, like, bro. He was like, get me out of here. No. Get me out You, don't you, you me stay here, right the fuck there. <laughs> I know, right? You used to make me whippy or fucking hit you with a... Yeah, that's the what no. like, <laughs> Stay there. He's like, do
0: me one favor, and they're probably like, no, you're fucking gross, and we're glad like, no, you're in. there. The oldest son is like, dude. No, like, no, no I know. I've, I've seen Albert some Jude wild, shit. fucking traumatized. He's like, you can he stay really right there. He really saw some shit. Poor Albert, G. He's probably yeah. sure. so fucked up. Honestly, honestly, I wonder if he's still alive. I should like Google that and see if he's still alive. I doubt it. Yeah, no, because he was born. Yeah, he nah, he was he was born in like, um. <clears throat> Like, the early 1900s. Yeah, yeah. he's fucking he's dead. dead. He's dead. His children might still be alive. I, yeah, I don't know if I don't know if any of Albert Fish's kids had kids. I don't know. That'd be an interesting... I would not want that fucking attachment. I would be changing my name so fast. Get me out <laughs> of here. So fast. I would never, ever fucking tell anybody, like, who mm-hmm. my grandfather was. No fucking way. Anyways, um, on January 16th, Fish was discharged from Bellevue. Several days later, a judge put Fish on probation and released him into Anna's custody. Um, Fish, actually, at this point, like he he laid low for a couple years. He stayed off police's radar um, until resisti- and, like he was resisting the urge to send any more letters. Um, that is until 1934 when he sent the letter to the Bud family detailing his murder and alleged cannibalism of Grace Bud's body. So when this letter arrived at the Bud residence, it was read by Edward because his mother, Mrs. Delia Bud, she was illiterate and she couldn't read it herself. Mm. As Edward read the letter, he was said to have gone as white as a sheet.
1: Well,
0: yeah. And, yeah. And he was out the door before his mother had even had a chance to ask him what the letter said. So it's like one saving grace is like, A, she couldn't read it, and B, mm. he didn't tell her what it said. Mm. Um, by ten thirty that same morning, the letter was in the hands of the lead detective on the Grace Bud case, Detective William King. Detective King immediately noticed a few specific things about the letter. First, that it was incredibly detailed and monstrous. And second, despite the depravity, the letter was far more coherent than any of like the raving hate letters that the Buds had received in the mail before. Because we talked about in part mm-hmm. one, people have been fucked mm-hmm. and were literally sending, like, troll letters to the Bud family about Grace's murder. Mm-hmm. There were also details in the letter that were never released to the public. Um, thus, these were details that only Grace's kidnapper and now, as they know for sure, her murderer would have known. Because mm-hmm. at this point, obviously, like the Budd family is still holding on to that last little bit of hope that she's alive. Yep. But this... Yeah. Yeah, I know this letter was so detailed and like he knew things that they're like, there's no way that this person would ever know this if they were not the one that that did this to her. And being that in the letter, it said that she was murdered. They're like, oh, well, we knew it, but we didn't want to admit it. But it was, you know, at this point, really, that her family had to accept that Grace wasn't coming back. Mm -hmm. So following his hunch, Detective King opened up his case files and he retrieved like, Kind of like the 1920s version of, like, what a photocopy would be. Mm -hmm. And it was a photocopy of that handwritten uh, telegram telegram message that Frank Howard, quote-unquote, had sent to the Buds back on June 2nd, 1928, informing them that he would be delayed coming to them by a day. Mm -hmm. So, King takes this copy of the telegram, he takes the letter that the Buds got, and he places them side-by-side. And, like, he wasn't, like, a professional, like, handwriting expert by any means, but he was able to come to the conclusion that the Frank Howard who sent the telegram to the Buds and the person who sent that letter were one and the same. The handwriting matched Mm. perfectly. So in the end, it wasn't actually the letter itself that led to the capture of Albert Fish, but it was the envelope that he sent it in. So imprinted on the back flap of the envelope was a small hexagonal emblem with a circle in the center. It almost looked like... um. Like one of those like nuts that you like crank with the wrench or on the mm-hmm. bolt. Like that's kind of what it was shaped like. On each of the inside corners of the hexagon was a single capital letter. Taken together, they spelled out the initials NYPCBA. A two-line address appeared directly below the emblem. The anonymous sender had taken a pen to the top line, so scribble it out, obscuring the street number with ink. Um, However, he had not scribbled out the bottom line below it, so it still read New York City, so they knew it Mm. had to be local, it's from Mm. the city. Um, He also hadn't made the slightest effort to cover up the emblem itself, which was a huge, Mm. huge clue. Um, the attempt to obscure the address, like, it was kind of, like, fucking half-assed, honestly. Like, he just scribbled it out with, like, a fountain pen. Mm. So um, Detective King was actually able to take a magnifying glass and, like, make out what the address under the pen said. And it was 627 Lexington Avenue. So King then began his search to figure out what the letters NYPCBA on the envelope stood for. And he quickly found out that it stood um. For the New York Private Chauffeurs Benevolent Association. So, after finding this out, King makes his way to the NYPCBS headquarters, which was uptown, and upon entering, he introduced himself to the association's, associations president, Mr. Arthur Ennis. Detective King showed him the envelope and asked if a man called Frank Howard had ever belonged to the association. So, Ennis, he goes through, he checks through all the files, you know, they dig through it, and they're not able to find record of anybody with the name Frank Howard. Like, are we surprised? (laughs) Frank Howard doesn't fucking exist. So, King then asks Ennis, or he asks Ennis if he can examine all, like, the personnel forms himself filled Mm. out by active and retired members of the organization. Mm. So, Ennis is like, knock yourself the fuck out. Like, go for it. Sure, buddy. I know. He's like, if you want to, sure, whatever. So he hands over a carton containing nearly 400 membership forms to King, who then returned to his office and began the absolutely insane task of plucking each one of those cards out and individually comparing the handwriting on the card to the handwriting on the telegram and the anonymous letter. Despite his dedication, though, unfortunately, he was not able to come up with a match from any of the cards that he was given to by Ennis. The following day, King went back to the headquarters and requested that Ennis call an emergency mm-hmm. meeting of the association, and that meeting was held the following afternoon. Addressing the members, King reviewed the facts of the Bud case, described the man he was searching for, and without going into specifics, told them about the anonymous letter that had arrived at the Budd's apartment in an CBA envelope. If any member knew of someone who had removed stationery from the King, or from, from the office,
1: from the king! They robbed the
0: king! <laughs> Your royal highness has been robbed! No. <laughs> they robbed the fucking king, mate! <laughs> Bro, they robbed the fucking king! Okay. <laughs> oh my god.
1: Oh my god. Oh, if they
0: knew of anybody who had stolen stationary king asked that they pretty much just like come forward and tell him you know just asking if they have mm-hmm. any information anybody that could possibly or any clues that could possibly lead them to the person that he was looking for mm-hmm. so after the meeting king was approached by a man named lee Sikowski, who admitted that six month or six months earlier he had actually stolen a few sheets of stationery and envelopes from the office when King questioned Sikowski as to what he had done with all of these things, Sikowski informed King that he had taken them home. When King asked Sikowski where he was living, um, he replied, Sikowsky replied that he was living at a rooming house that was located at 622 Lexington Avenue. So it's basically like a boarding house. Mm. You would like sign your name in, you would rent out a room, stay there for however long you needed to. So, King figured that if the person who had sent the letter was not a member of the NYPCBA, then they had to have gotten hold of the envelope from the stash that Sikowski brought to their rooming house. So, King decides that he's going to make that his next stop and he's going to do a little more digging. Mm-hmm. Um, however, King was unable again to find any record of a man named Frank Howard having lived at that rooming house in the past or the present. So, he goes back and he decides he's going to question Lee Sikowski again. This time, Sikowski recalled that he'd actually lived at another address, which was 200 East 52nd Street. He stayed in room number seven before he had lived at the one that was on Lexington Avenue. He also mentioned that he'd only actually used one or two of the envelopes himself and that he left the rest of them on a wooden shelf above his bed and had forgotten about them. So he didn't take them with him when he moved. So theoretically, somebody else moves into room number seven after him they have those envelopes available to them. So again, as far as Lee Sikowski knew, those envelopes, that stationery was still there when he had moved out five months earlier. So now King is like, hmm, another lead, let's go. So he goes to that other rooming house and he speaks to the landlady. Um, Her name was Mrs. Frida Schneider. He showed her one of the old, um, like, they're like a, they call them kidnap circulars. They're basically like, like, they would put him in the newspaper, basically, like to say, like, this is a person who's missing. This is a description of the person we're looking, uh, looking for, et cetera, et cetera. So he shows that to Miss Schneider, gives her that detailed description of Frank Howard, and she immediately recognizes the description as matching one of her boarders, an older gentleman who'd lived in room number seven for two months, and had actually just moved out a few days earlier on November 11th. King asked to see the register where boarders would sign in at the beginning of their stays. And he again compared the handwriting and the signature on the register to the handwriting on the copy of the telegram from the Bud residence that he still had just hanging out in his body. He was taking this thing with a fucking everywhere.
1: <laughs> he was like, I've got it right here. And and this was is like, my comfort letter. <laughs> this is my comfort letter. I take the with
0: me everywhere. <laughs> um, but luckily, I, he had it with him. So he takes it out and he is comparing you know the signature of this man, who Miss Schneider was saying was staying in room seven, and the handwriting was a clear, clear match, perfect match, and the name signed on the register was one Albert H. Fish.
1: Yay. So <laughs> they got
0: his fucking name now. They finally, you know, which you they had. To, uh, I don't understand why they still kept asking after Frank Howard when it was fucking obvious that his name was not Frank Howard. <laughs> Like, you've been chasing this Frank Howard lead now at this point for six years. And it's gotten you nowhere. I think the it's time to switch it up. I think it's time to switch it up.
1: I will give props to that, Detective King, yes.
0: though, because he was on his shit. Yes,
1: that, absolutely. But. <laughs> Your face. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, it, it, it was. Uh, if it, y'all
0: had been this adamant Six years earlier, <laughs> but it, again though, the only reason that King was able to really get these leads was because fish wrote that letter wrote that letter,
1: mm-hmm.
0: so had he never written that letter, he would have gotten away with it, yeah. undoubtedly because yeah. they he was never even a fucking speck yeah. on their radar, so he uh, couldn't resist the urge to do some fuck shit again, and it got him caught good fucking riddance, wish he would have been caught earlier. Um, but yeah, he is a fucking pervert who just needs to add additional fucking pain onto the misery he's already caused these families. More pervy things, yeah. And, like, the fact that he just, like, wrote the letter literally for no other reason but to just cause this family more fucking distress. Literally distraught over Like, like, he,
1: it's not even like he wrote the letter and be like, I'm the one who killed Grace. He's like, like, you're not even owning up to it. You're just telling them what you did and not even saying that it's you. Like- exactly.
0: Because he gets a thrill out of it. He gets mm-hmm. a thrill out of recounting what he, he does did. to these children. Ick. Like, in the most vulgar terms that he possibly can. It's giving... Ick? It's giving huge fucking Ick? It's giving me the Ick. It's giving me an Ick. He's a ten, but he's Albert Fucking Fish. <laughs> <laughs> he's a negative. He's a negative a one thousand. fucking billion. Literally, fuck that guy. So, there was also some more valuable information that Miss Schneider still had to offer King. She told him about how Mister Fish had a son who would mail him a twenty-five dollar paycheck, and there was actually one check that was still set to arrive in the bu- in the mail to the boarding house in a couple days. So when he had moved out, Fish had actually told Mrs. Schneider that he would be back to pick up the check in a week or so after he moved out. So King is like, hell yeah. And they start a round-the-clock stakeout of this boarding house. King was absolutely determined to catch Albert Fish when he came to pick up this check. He's like, this is the fucking guy. He knows without a doubt now that this is the person they're looking for. However, though, as days pass with no sign of Fish or of the check that Fish would have been expecting, um, King and his other team, they, they start to get a little bit of They're like, oh, what's going on? <laughs> um, finally, though, on December 4th, a postal inspector called King to tell him that an envelope addressed to Albert H. Fish had just been intercepted at the Grand Central Annex Post Office. The check was then given to King, who was certain now that Albert Fish would turn up soon And King was correct. On December 13th, King got a call from Mrs. Schneider informing him that Albert Fish had just shown up at her rooming house and was inquiring about his check. So King's like, stall him. Mm. Stall Keep him. him there. Keep him there. Do not let him leave. And King fucking it's like I imagine, you know,
1: like it and he's like, like instant panicking like, I gotta he's go! There. He's there! I gotta he's there. go! He's there!
0: He's there! He's there! He's there. He's there. Yeah, and King basically like sprints out of the fucking police station, hops his ass into a so he's like whipping down the streets of New York. He's like, get in He's got his head out the window. He's like get the fuck out of my right
1: way. Away. Get in, losers, we're getting <laughs> Albert Fish Get in, losers! We're going <laughs> to arrest Albert Finch! <laughs> <laughs> gotta just <laughs> I just
0: had, like, a mental image of, like, an old, like, de- detective fucking cop like this guy. with so was, like, a long, blonde, like, Regina George wig on it as he's flying through the streets. Fuck. And, like, in, like, a fucking pink velour sweatsuit or something. You right <laughs> that now that I'm currently wearing. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, getting losers are going arresting resting. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, he, he fucking skirted
1: his ass over to this boarding house. Oh, my God. Off topic, but when you just said that, it <laughs> made me think of something, so I was having a conversation last night, and I was like, you know what? It's fucking weird? Like, how come when you watch, like, the ghost shows where they're, like, hunting ghosts or whatever, it's always a, like colonial ass ghost. Yeah, it's
0: like, never like a ghost from like 2005. Like. With like a pink razor flip phone clacking in the background.
1: Or like say, imagine if you heard through that little speaker box say, "Is Britney bitch. <laughs> or get in loser, we're going to hell. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, get in loser, we're going to hell. <laughs> I would fucking run. Get in loser, we're going haunting. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a really good point. Like, why are all these majorly haunted places just haunted by old ass ghosts? Old as fuck. Like, are you telling me that there's no fucking, like, haunted locations that are just haunted by people from, like, the early aughts? Like, where are the ghosts in fucking Jenko jeans? <laughs> I, said, I, I literally,
1: I go, I said, I hope Aaron Carter's floating around singing I Want Aww, Candy Somewhere. R.I.P. Aaron Carter. You know? That's so fucking sad. He I really. Walking, I candy.
0: <laughs> dude the fucking like aaron's party that album was mm-hmm. popping i had it on my cd player i was literally just gonna say that like i remember walking around with my fucking headphones
1: on yep. and my aaron's my party if you move the cd player and to it would hard skip. To skip oh my god yeah oh
0: god that was a great album i need to see why i wonder if i was on spotify i wonder if i could get a cd player still <laughs> maybe somewhere you know where you could probably find a cd probably player is a thrift store or like ebay yeah there you can find fucking anything. You can find you can find some weird shit on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> you get onto the wrong side of eBay. You're like, wait, whoa, whoa. How did I just buy a fucking cat? For oh my god, six you. Grand. We're getting fuck. We're getting soft topic again. But now you made me think of. Do you did you ever did you see that thing that was on social media like uh, like a year ago where. They were, like, these big, like, storage units, basically. Yes! That they were selling them, and they're all their names were, like, Regina. The missing Sa- girls. And, yeah, it was names of missing girls. Mm. And they were selling these for, like, 15 grand, 20 grand, 25 grand, and people mm. were fucking convinced that it was, like, a black market, like... For those missing girls. Yeah, like, yeah. sex trade slave. Yeah. Se- I said sex trade slave. Yep. That. Se- <laughs> sex. Slave. Trade. 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 Oh, mm. my God. You know it's late because I'm fucking... Chewing my words, man. I am bumbling these fucking syllables. Oh my god. Anyways, (laughs) so so Detective King gets to this boarding house. Uh, Miss Schneider basically greets him at the door and she leads him into one of the rooms of the boarding house. Um, When King arrives to that room, he is greeted by the sight of um, a man, an elderly man, sitting at a small wooden table. He is like slurping from a teacup. Yes. In the book I read, they made sure to really uh, yeah. emphasize that he was like slurping. <laughs> yes, yeah, literally that he was Ugh. slurping from his teacup. He was dressed in a like tweed suit jacket with a vest, a tie, and he was wearing these like striped pants that just did not match
1: the rest of his outfit at all. So He looked fucking insane.
0: Yeah, he he looked messy, and he was messy. Um, and this man was Albert Fish. Fish must have known he was caught because, well, obviously, he, King walks in and he's like, that's a cop. Um, but like, so King basically walks into this room and he just like looks at Fish. Fish, Fish looks at him and he's like, he looks at me, you I know look at me. him, he looked at me, and you I looked look at him. The the, history, it was like, literally one of those moments. um And King is like, are you Albert Fish? And Albert Fish is like, maybe no <laughs> um mm. basically like fish is like yep i'm albert fish not in this moment i'm not and then he mm. gets up from his chair and he actually like reaches he's wearing a wristwatch and he slips something out from under his wristwatch and it's a fucking razor blade so whether he was gonna go at king or go at himself mm. um he doesn't get the chance to though because king sees us and he like lunges at him like grabs his wrist really hard and just like makes him drop Mm -hmm. The razor blade, but Fish is like... Pretty much like, you don't want to do this, buddy. Yeah, no, legitimately that. You Mm -hmm. don't want to do this. But Fish knew his fucking number was up because Mm -hmm. I think he was going to, like, try to off himself, basically. guilty
1: people, or innocent people don't do that.
0: Yeah, innocent people don't try to fucking off themselves when they're approached by the police. A.K.A.,
1: uh, what was his fucking name? Herbert, uh... Her, her bonster. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Forty, or what did I say? 18. Save a lot. Like, it
0: was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I, it was like his 18 acre boneyard or something no. where he just had fucking fragments of people's bodies scattered all over his, his 18 fucking acre fucking garden. house land. Yeah, Bones. the bone fragments in the fucking like gravel that his garden was lined with. That's absolutely insane. I really can't believe that I did not know that he was the founder of Save a Lot until I started researching the
1: case. it's not a When I came across it, I was like, holy Every shit. Every time I go... Now, every single time I pass the empty sable, I know like, yeah, there's bodies in the wall. <laughs> no, he didn't need to put them in the walls because he just chopped them up and he put them in his yard. <laughs> Either way, my brain's like, yeah, there's bodies, <laughs> there's in, bodies there.
0: in the wall. <laughs> there's bodies in there. Even though it was a sale after. I know, right? It was a sale But also, there's fuck bodies. the Salvation Army. They're homophobic and racist. They yeah. suck. Okay. Do not donate to the Salvation Army. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and that is all. And that is all. That That was my PSA. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, so... King grabs Fish's wrist, and he he makes him drop the razor blade, and as he, like, grabs this, it's literally like a fucking scene out of a movie, so he grabs his wrist, Fish drops the razor blade, and King just exclaims, he goes, I've got you now! It's like,
1: literally like it's, a 1920s movie. Uh,
0: well, because this is happening, I mean, this is happening in 1934, mm-hmm. so very that, very that. Um... So, I'm immediately, glad
1: those movies are, like, spot on. No,
0: <laughs> they really are. Like, why were people so fucking melodramatic in the <laughs> early 1900s? Like, why? Got nothing better
1: to do. What? Yeah, seriously.
0: It, this is the, it's the fucking Great Depression. So, they're just like, Literally. we are all greatly depressed (laughs) we're poor we're living in boxes (laughs) Ah. we need to find any sort of happiness and entertainment in any way that we possibly can (laughs) so understandably fish is immediately taken into police custody um and then after you know a little while like they they put him into an interrogation room and they start interrogating his ass immediately he's like yeah i did it and it, it honestly like didn't take him long to crack and just start confessing um he at first he owned up to writing the letter to the bud family as well as writing that telegram that like he admitted to being frank howard um though he said he's like i wrote the letter i sent the telegram but i wasn't the one who kidnapped grace and so king is like the fuck
1: Bro. The fuck?
0: Give it up. So he, he calls like he calls Fish out on the bullshit immediately. He's like, there's no fucking way. Yeah. The, Delia Budd saw you with her own eyeballs. Leave. Walk out of her house with her child. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, King just calls him out on it. And, and soon enough, Fish does crack under the pressure of the interrogation. So he confessed that he had taken Grace to a deserted mansion in the Westchester village of Elmsford where he strangled her and then dismembered her body with a meat cleaver and a handsaw, mm. burying her body parts around the overgrown grounds of this estate. Um, Fish actually denied being a cannibal and insisted that he did not sexually assault his victim, and he was only acting on an uncontrollable bloodlust that overcame him. Oh my fucking God. He told King that he had also had plans before to murder another neighborhood boy named Cyril Quinn. He had lured this boy to his apartment, but Quinn had fled after seeing the meat cleaver butcher's knife and handsaw stashed under Fish's bed. Um, when asked why he wanted to kill Cyril Quinn, Fish had just shrugged. He was like, I, I don't know. Mean, doesn't I not know. I just, just, why just why wanted to do it. it. Literally. Um, Fish also said he was sorry. That he had written that taunting letter to Grace's family. Not yeah, because
1: he fucking got caught. No, literally,
0: that was my next line. Not because of the further suffering it had caused the Buds, but only because it had led to his capture.
1: Literally.
0: Like he was uh, He wouldn't
1: have regretted it if he would have fucking got rid of that logo. Abs yeah, absolutely
0: not, because he wouldn't have gotten caught. Um, so it's at this point, too, that Fish is he's giving more and more details of the events leading up to Grace's murder. Um, He said that he had taken her to the Putnam Division of the New York Central Railroad, where, like, when I read this, like, this has made me sad. He buys a round-trip ticket for himself and a one-way ticket for Grace.
1: Hmm.
0: Once they boarded the train, Fish let Grace sit next to the window so that she could look out at the scenery and she was, like, fascinated by because she was a city kid. Yeah. And she's not getting to ride a train through the countryside. She, she's, this is so she's literally, like, probably never seen before or right. seen it only in very rare occasions. So she's just, like, looking out at the scenery and, you know, literally just enjoying this train. And she's not thinking, like... Oh, my God, I'm going to die. Yeah, she's not thinking, hmm... She's also 10. Right. She's not, like, being suspicious. Oh, like, why are we why are we going out to the Country. countryside? Right. Um, so the train ride was 40 minutes long. And during the train ride, Fish would occasionally turn to Grace to tell her how much fun his niece's birthday party was going to be or to just reach down and give her knee a gentle, like, friendly, like, grandfatherly pat. Mm-hmm. You know, like, how old people just, yeah, like, like, like pat-, pat you. Yeah, exactly. That's what he was doing. He was like, oh, like, you're going to have so much fun at this birthday party. Like, all my niece's friends are going to be there. Da-da-da-da. So he's really, like, hyping it up. Exactly. He's, he's very much so talking it up and, and hyping it up to her. When they reached their destination, which was Worthington Station, um, Fish actually seemed pretty distracted, and he kind of said, "You know, he's he's about to murder this child. That's why he's fucking distracted." Right. So he's so distracted that um, remember how we talked about in part one where he had that striped parcel?
1: Yes.
0: That he had left with the newsstand, and then mm. on his way, he picked it up. Yeah, it was
1: all his shit.
0: Yes, it was his what he called his implements of hell. <laughs> So, he was so distracted that he actually left that package on the train. Oh, shit. However, little Grace Bud, Pick it up. She tugs at his sleeve after they get on the platform, and she goes, You forgot your package. No. And she turns on her heel. She runs back into the train car. She grabs his parcel... She's got it like cradled in her arms and she gives it back to him.
1: That's so even more sad.
0: I know. She had unknowingly given Fish back the tools that he would use to butcher her body after he strangled her to death.
1: That is so sad.
0: And literally just peak like childhood like innocence.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: She's like, You forgot your package. And get she it. goes, She runs back on the train to get it for him. Mm-hmm. And unbeknownst to her, it's a fucking meat cleaver, a butcher knife, and a handsaw that he's going to use to fucking hack her body apart after he murders her. Mm Mm-mm. No, ma'am. Yeah. So, we talked about this a little bit before in part one. I don't want to really recap it too much, but basically, they get to this cottage. He tells Grace to wait outside, and there's a little garden of wildflowers in front of the cottage. So, she starts, she's making herself a bouquet. Mm-hmm. Um, And while she's doing that, he goes upstairs, he strips himself completely naked, Mm. and when he's naked, he, like, looks out the window, he calls Grace to come into the Mm. cottage and come upstairs. When she sees him naked, she turns to try to run away, she says, I'm gonna tell my mama, Mm. and then he grabs her, and he basically throws her down, and he strangles her to death. Mm. Um, Fish said that after he had strangled Grace, he used his implements of hell to dismember her post-mortem. He decapitated her with a large double-edged knife, so that big butcher's knife. He stripped her now headless corpse naked and proceeded to bisect Grace's body through the midsection using his knife and the meat cleaver. He discarded Grace's clothing in the cottage's outhouse, hid her head in the corner of the outhouse and covered it with some newspaper, then went back into the cottage where he propped up the two halves of her body next to the closet, and then he opened the closet door in front of the rest of her body to hide them from view. Fish then cleaned himself up best he could. So there was no running water at this cottage and he was fucking covered Mm. in blood at this point. And he had actually on when he was preparing to kill her, he had gone and fetched like an empty paint bucket.
1: Mm.
0: And when he was decapitating her, he did it over Mm. the paint bucket to catch the blood Uh. in the paint bucket. And so, He takes this, after he's stashed her body, he takes the, he throws the blood, like, out the fucking window, like you would back in the day with, like, old, gross, dirty water, he Mm. throws it into Mm. the fucking garden, um, he, basically, like, he has to use, like, grass, like, he goes outside, and he, like, you know, like, if you're outside, you fucking wipe your hands on the grass, that's Mm -hmm. what he did. Because there wasn't any running water in this place. He had no other... And that's why he got naked. Mm-hmm. So he wouldn't get any blood on his clothes. So he's right. got, like, blood on his hands, his face, whatever. He cleans himself off best he can. Um, and then he just fucking goes back to the train station to catch his train home. He uh, would return to the cottage four days later. And this is when he moved Grace's remains to be buried on the grounds around the cottage. Um When King finally asked Fish why he had killed Grace Bud, Fish replied... You know, I could never account for it. So he basically said, "I don't fucking know." I just did it. Yeah, I just did it. Like that was his fucking answer for everything. Like, asked when he why why he wanted to kill Cyril Quinn, he fucking shrugged. When he asked why he sent the obscene letters to women, he's like, "Oh no, it was just kind of a habit." Like he never took a single fucking shred of accountability. Of accountability. Yeah, shit. literally for fucking nothing. Uh, Fish also said, quote, it never entered his head, or he would have said it never entered my head, Mm. to rape Grace Budd, but he did later claim to his attorney that while he was kneeling on Grace's chest and fucking strangling her, he said he had two involuntary ejaculations. Ew. Yeah, he's fucking disgusting. This man is the fucking filth scum of the goddamn earth he is like the shit you would scrape out of the inside of an outhouse he is an actual humanized pile of shit pile of you know what he would probably like being called that because he had a Mm -hmm. thing for shit
1: Mm -hmm. he's like oh you think i'm shit pile of garbage yeah trash absolute fucking trash Mm -hmm. absolute trash any of his remaining relatives that are alive i'm I'm sorry. sorry
0: i'm so sorry that you are in any way shape or form related to this fucking man But if you're anything like him, fuck Fuck you. Fuck (laughs) you. Anyways. So, Fish would end up telling his confession to Grace's murder to multiple police detectives, as well as a whole series of psychiatrists. None of whom had heard anything like this before. Like, they were all, like... Like, what the fuck? Literally, what the fuck? What the fuck? And these are, like, seasoned detectives, Mm -hmm. seasoned psychiatrists, and they're like, what the fuck is wrong with this man. Mm-hmm. And it said in the book, like, they had never heard anything like it before and would never hear anything remotely like it again. No. Like, this I'm man not. was one of a kind in the worst fucking way. Literally. So terrible. So, news of Fish's arrest broke in the media on December 14th, 1934, so the day after he was arrested, and it was front-page fucking news on every newspaper in the city. Like, his mugshot was... Good. Slapped on there. Slapped on Good. there. So Fish's trial for the murder of Grace Budd began on March 11, 1935. It took place in White Plains, New York. Frederick P. Close presided as judge and Westchester County Chief Assistant District Attorney Albert F. Gallagher was the prosecuting attorney. Fish's defense counsel was James Dempsey, who was a former prosecutor himself and had at one time been the mayor of Peekskill, New York. The trial lasted for 10 days. Fish pleaded insanity, and he claimed to have heard voices from God telling him to kill children. Several psychiatrists testified about Fish's sexual fetishes, which, in short, <laughs> included sadism, masochism, flagellation, exhibitionism, voyeurism. Pickerism, which is sexual interest in penetrating the skin of another person with sharp objects. In this case, it was penetrating his own skin. Remember the needles mm-hmm. on his fucking pelvis? Mm-hmm. Um, cannibalism, croplophagia, urophilia, hematolagnia, which is blood drinking, pedophilia, necrophilia, and infibulation, which is um, female genital mutilation.
1: Yeah.
0: Dempsey noted in his summation um, that Fish was a, quote, psychiatric phenomenon Mm -hmm. and that nowhere in legal or medical records was there ever another individual who possessed so many sexual abnormalities. Mm -hmm. Like, this man is a fucking freak.
1: Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Literally. Like, Mm -hmm. he... There's no doubt. There's no other argument.
0: Exactly. Like, there has literally, like, even in my fucking, like, Rolodex of, like, serial killers and cases I know, there has never, ever, ever... Been another case like Elberfisch, like this man's was insane. Literally, the fucking pinnacle
1: of depravity. Mm. Pinnacle of depravity. Ooh, I cannot. Mm-mm.
0: Yeah, he was. No, he was nasty. N a s t e e no. nasty.
1: Nasty. 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 No. Ma'am. No,
0: Mm -hmm. ma'am. No, sir. No, they, them. (laughs) No, no, no. No, anybody. (laughs) Whatever pronouns you use, no. (laughs) Literally just all of it, no. All of it, no. So the defense's chief expert witness was a man named Frederick Wortham. He was a psychiatrist um, who had an emphasis on child development, who conducted psychiatric examinations for New York criminal courts. During two days of testimony, Wortham explained that Fish's obsession with religion, and specifically his preoccupation with the biblical story of Abraham and Isaac, um, contributed a lot to these quote-unquote delusions that Fish had about killing children. Um, Wortham said that Fish believed that similarly sacrificing a boy like Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac would be penance for his own sins and that even if the act itself was wrong, angels would prevent it if God did not approve. So he said, yeah, I know that murder is wrong, but if God didn't want me to kill these children, he would send an angel down to stop me. I wish you guys could see Autumn's face right now, because she looks so... She's just blinking excessively. And yeah, like, what the fuck do you say to that? If it was... If God didn't want it to happen... He would send an angel to stop me. Like, bro, the fuck? What the fuck? Literally, what the fuck? Autumn oh, speechless.
1: I just—it's
0: <laughs> the long-suffering size for me.
1: It's—it's—it's it's, it's giving delusional. Um, insane. <laughs> <laughs> um what's a few other ones um fucking nasty it fucking, it's giving <laughs> fucking nasty no seriously like i it's I, giving no sir ma'am they them all of them no sir ma'am they them all them all them it's like i don't i don't know how to like, phrase this but like are you this, like, kidding me an <laughs> angel is gonna come down from the clouds and stop you <laughs> no seriously it's like this the figment of your imagination.
0: The smallest fucking thing that Albert Fish could have done to bring some closure to the family of the children that he fucking brutally butchered would be to accept responsibility for it. He's like, well, God, Toby. But literally, he could not even give them the tiniest shred of decency to say, it was me, I did it. Like, come the fuck on, dude. Come the fuck on. But please, actually, no, I'm not going to say that to Elberfish, because he would. Uh, <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> but yeah, like, the least he could fucking do was take a little bit of shred of responsibility for what he had done. But he's like, no, I was insane. God told me to do it. I heard his voice. I wrapped myself up in a carpet and whipped myself because God told me to. <laughs> like, fuck you, guy. You f- <laughs> Sorry, the mental picture of this is so just, fucking funny. Literally
1: just laying on one end and just rolling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Oh my God.
0: Um, so leading into, you know, more of this fucking delusional-ass story that Fish is telling, he said that he had attempted to sacrifice a boy once more, but was thwarted when a car had driven past. And he said that Edward Budd was the next
1: intended victim. But so he, he was going to kill off the Budd family. He just... He wanted Edward.
0: Because remember, Edward was... The or- original. The original. One.
1: But like, at this point...
0: What the fuck? <laughs> just what the fuck? Yeah, so he said that, again, Edward was the intended victim. Um, but Edward turned out to be larger than Fish had expected. Um, so when he saw Good. Grace, he settled on Grace. Although he knew Grace was female... It is believed that Fish perceived her as a boy. So, again, this is him just trying to fucking feed into child. his... Exactly, like, maybe because she was a child, maybe because he... I think he's trying to get to the fact that he was so into this delusion that any child would do for him. It didn't need to be a boy. Mm-hmm. It just needed to be a child. Ugh. So, Wortham then detailed Fish's cannibalism, which, in his mind, he associated with, like, Holy Communion. So, again, just trying to tie all of this into religious religious delusion. Um, the last question that Dempsey had asked Wortham was uh, 15,000 words long. It was a long-ass fucking question. I would have got lost. I know, I would have got lost somewhere in there. But basically the question was so long because it detailed Fish's life and ended with asking how the doctor considered his mental condition based on that life that he had lived. And Wortham simply answered, quote, he is insane. No fucking shit. No fucking shit. Which he definitely, he's crazy, but he knew what the fuck
1: he was doing. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt in my mind. He's not clinically insane. Exactly. Either. Exactly. He's just, I don't know any, he's just a psychopath. He's literally nuts. He's fucking bonkers. Yep.
0: So um, Gallagher then goes into cross-examine Wortham, so Gallagher is our prosecutor. Uh-huh. He gets to cross-examine Wortham, and he cross-examines Wortham on whether Fish knew the difference between right and wrong, which, again, that is the crux of insanity. Mm-hmm. You are insane. You do not understand right versus wrong.
1: Right.
0: Um, Wortham responded that he didn't. A... Wait, what? He responded that he didn't. know. What the fuck? <laughs> oh. Never mind, I'm like reading them, like, what the fuck does this sentence mean? Um, so basically, Wortham responds that Fish did know the difference between right and wrong, but that it was a perverted knowledge based on his opinions of sin, atonement, and religion, and thus it was an insane knowledge. So again, he's saying he does know right and wrong, but he's so delusional that his sense of right and wrong itself is he's, perverted. Yes. The defense called two more psychiatrists to support Wortham's findings. And then the prosecution basically now gets to call his, their rebuttal witnesses. So the first of four rebuttal witnesses was Menace Gregory, the former manager of the Bellevue Hospital where Fish was treated during 1930. Love that. He testified that Fish was abnormal but sane. <laughs> abnormal. Abnormal is a fucking understatement. <laughs> oh, he was abnormal. Yeah, oh. he was abnormal but he was sane. Under cross-examination, Dempsey asked if coprophilia, urophilia, and pedophilia pedophilia indicated a sane or insane person. Gregory replied that such a person was not mentally sick and that these were common perversions that were socially perfectly all right and that Fish was no different from millions of other people, some very prominent and successful, who had the very same perversions. The next witness... I know
1: he didn't say it was normal. I mean, <laughs> uh, what I know two, he did not what, say that eating shit was normal. What, what two? I guess this problems. what two consenting
0: adults get up to in their own time is none of his fucking business. But he and was not, he was also pretty uh, much saying, too, like, there are people that have these, these paraphilias mm-hmm. that they may do these sorts of things. They may get off on, like, coprophragia and urologia. And there's people who are pedophiles, but they're not out there murdering children. Mm. So that's the difference here between Albert Fish and somebody else, per se, who might suffer from those same paraphilias, is, is pretty much what he's getting at. Um,
1: so don't worry, if any of you listening like to eat shit or drink pee... I guess it's normal. <laughs> I'm... What, <laughs> did, I say, the what doctor. did I say last time I said, I don't want to yuck your yum, but I'm yucking your
0: fucking yum. <laughs> That's fucking disgusting.
1: I'm kink-shaming. I hope that all of you who are listening, don't do that, because that is fucking disgusting. Like, I'm kink-shaming. Please, add Two girls, don't. I mean,
0: you remember two girls, one cup, so clearly there is a market for that shit. And fucking
1: Giovanna and... Dino.
0: Dino. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it's fucking
0: gross. <laughs> so, oh my god, okay. The next witness was the resident physician at the Tombs, which was a nickname for um the Manhattan Detention Complex, which was a jail located in Lower Manhattan, Um, and this man was Perry Lichtenstein. Dempsey objected to a doctor with no training in psych... psych- Psychi- I forgot how to pronounce it. I literally just had a psychiatry? brain fart and forgot how to pronounce fucking psychiatry. I was like,
1: psychiatry? <laughs> I can't fucking read. Me. Me when I take my first. <laughs> 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 fucking psychiatry. Me, the, first, um, the first thing that happens at work. <laughs> that's, that's me. me. <laughs> I said, what? What?
0: How, what is that word? It's like one of those words where you know like how it's pronounced, but you look at it and you're like, that's not a word. No. That's not a word. Your brain's like, like stop. Like, epitome. I always want to say epitome. Because it's spelled like fucking epitome, but it's pronounced epitome. Anyways, I'm going to say that sentence again. <laughs> <laughs> Dempsey objected to a doctor with no training in psychiatry, testifying on the issue of sanity, but Justice Close overruled on the basis that the jury could decide what weight to give a prison doctor. When asked whether fishes causing himself pain indicated a mental condition, Lichtenstein replied, quote, that is not masochism, as he was only punishing himself to get sexual gratification.
1: Uh, the next witness was Charles, can you L- what get arrested for doing shit like that to yourself?
0: No, it's not a crime. Should oh. be harm yourself should be it's not a crime to harm yourself but shit like that though like that's extreme well like inserting i i'm gonna say it i'm not gonna yuck your young whatever you do to yourself in the privacy of your own home as long as you are not harming others with your actions i mean i guess fucking go for it if you want to stick needles up your fucking gooch hello <laughs> oh my God! Oh, we have we have a hello. We are you're, you're, we are interrupting you're, your regularly scheduled programming because this. there is a potato on the table, and by potato, I mean Carter. He, he is he Army is question. pretty potato shaped. Like I wish you guys could see Carter.
1: He's very Hi. he's very
0: potato shaped. Hi. Maybe one day I'll post a picture of the cats on the podcast
1: Instagram. So y'all Maybe can see. just one day change our logo to the three cats to the three cats right <laughs> but only, this is not a podcast up, about cats <laughs> only up for 24 hours.
0: only up for 24 hours it is a limited time viewing <laughs> <laughs> so you better go you, check it out you better go follow the instagram TSRH podcast so you don't miss this uh, limited edition posting setting icon of the cats but yes all right back to our regular scheduled programming so the next witness up was the resident physician. Oh wait, Oh, I said that? I fucking said that. Oh my god, I'm stupid. The next witness was Charles Lambert, and he testified that coprophilia was a common practice, and that religious cannibalism may be psychopathic, but was quote a matter of taste, and not evidence of psychosis. So he said, just because like you're eat people. he said just because you're a cannibal doesn't mean you're crazy. Oh, okay. <laughs> But you know what that makes me think of? That makes me think of um, Armin Meves. Like, I covered him on episode two of this podcast. He was the one who, um, he posted basically like a wanted ad for somebody to, he's like, I'm a cannibal. I want to eat somebody, but I want somebody who wants to be eaten. And then he met this other guy and together they like chopped the guy's penis off and like ate it together. And then Meves like murdered him and then like ate his body. So Meves was not insane, but he was a cannibal. I can hear Carter purring from here. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if you guys are going to get any purring ASMR in the microphone. <laughs> He's literally so comfy right now. He's really loving this. Um, but yeah, basically, Charles Lambert testified that, like, yes, he might have these paraphilias. He might be a cannibal, but that does not inherently mean that he is insane. Um, the last witness was um, James Vavasour. He repeated Lambert's opinion. Um, there was also another defense witness um, who came up, and her name was uh, Mary Nicholas, and she was Fish's 17-year-old stepdaughter. She described how Fish taught her and her brothers and sisters several games involving overtones of masochism and child molestation. Um, so there's a lot of testimony that happens here. And again, it, really what, what the crux of it is, is, is Albert Fish insane or not is can he be held criminally responsible for what he did so it's like is he gonna spend the rest of his life in jail or in this case is he gonna get the fucking chair or is he gonna get sent to a mental institution please so um none of the jurors doubted that fish was insane but ultimately as one later explained they felt that he should be executed anyways yes so like he's fucking crazy, but he's going to get the chair anyways. <laughs> just like fucking deserved. <laughs> so fucking deserved. Yeah, yeah. Literally. I...
1: Take him out. Take him out. Yeah, literally take him out. He he does not to be like al- He's he... going to
0: keep doing it. Yes, that's the thing. Like it, this just goes through. like he never ever ever fucking took responsibility for what he did. If he did not get caught, he 110% would have murdered more children. I am mm-hmm. fully confident in that. Mm-hmm. So, um, they found him to be sane and guilty, and the judge sentenced Albert Fish to death by electrocution. They said, you gon' fry, motherfucker. You gonna fry today. You gon' fry today. He's, oh, he's gonna be a fish fry. Oh, he's a fish fry. He's a fish fry. He's a fish fry. fish fry. Fish fry. Fish fry. So, after his sentencing, Fish arrived at prison in March of 1935, and they got to him pretty fast. He went to prison in March of 35, and he was executed in January of 1936. Wow. So they got to him really
1: fast. Wow. They said,
0: said, no appeals, no states of execution, We're putting you right in the fucking chair.
1: You are getting your execution. Absolutely. We are not delaying shit. (laughs) Honestly, they're (laughs) like, it's time, buddy. It
0: is time. So prior to his execution, Fish had actually made it a point to tell reporters that he was actually looking forward to the thrill of being electrocuted. What the fuck? He's a fucking weirdo. He's a fucking weirdo. Fish is also said to have helped the executioner position the electrodes on his own body. And his last words were reportedly, quote, I don't even know why I'm here. Are
1: you fucking (laughs) kidding me? I You're don't even know why I'm here.
0: I don't know. I don't know, man. Maybe it was
1: children murder. Yeah, maybe, maybe. it
0: was the rape and the brutal murder of those three children. Maybe. Because during this time, too, he does confess. Like I said, he does confess to the murder of Francis McDonald and Billy Gaffney. Mm. Um, So, like, we, Ben, knew that he's fucked. Right.
1: And he's like, I don't know
0: why I'm here. Because you murdered children. You, bru- and not only did you murder children, but within your lifetime, you also were fucking raping children. Mm-hmm. He, uh, poor, like, Thomas Kedden that we talked about last episode just absolutely mutilated him and left him to fucking die who, God knows what. Mm-hmm. Said, I don't know why I'm here. Because you fucking deserve it, maybe? Literally. Because you should be there? Question mark? Literally. So, according to one witness present, it took two jolts of the electric chair before Fish died, and this created the rumor that the electric chair was short-circuited by the needles that Fish still had inserted into his oh, body. Shit. Um, these rumors were later regarded as being untrue, as Fish reportedly died in the same fashion and time frame as others that had been executed by electric chair. At a meeting with reporters after the execution, um, Fish's lawyer, James Dempsey, revealed that he was in possession of his client's final statement. Um, This amounted to several pages of handwritten notes that Fish apparently penned in the hours just prior to his death. When pressed by the assembled journalists to reveal the document's contents, Dempsey refused, stating, quote, I will never show it to anyone. It was the most filthy string of obscenities that I have ever read.
1: Oh, no. And we don't know what that said, because it was never released. Somebody had to have gotten their hands on
0: it. Well, I tried to find it, and I couldn't. He said, no one's ever seen this shit.
1: Maybe he burned them. Maybe. I probably would if I was him. But, yeah. That's the end. God
0: damn. That's Albert
1: Fish. God damn, Carter. I know. God damn.
0: We think we go on. What, that's God damn. We think we go on. He's like, I don't think. I don't no. have thoughts. don't have the brain cell I today. do not have any. Yeah, yeah. He's, he is. Poor guy. He never has the brain cell. It's
1: now your turn.
0: It's a, honestly Birdie and Carter. Or Birdie and Carter. Birdie and Ralph just like swap it back and forth. Poor Carter just gets left out. Okay. I know. He's just a baby. I can literally hear him purring from here. He's literally so happy. He's a big old baby. He's be baby. He's just a big old baby. He's a
1: chunky.
0: He is chunky. He he's a big man. He hits a bobeatum. Mm-hmm. He hits a bobeasum. Alright, we need he's to stop that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: he is just a guy. He's just he's a, a guy. guy.
0: Yeah, so how are we feeling after all of that? Part was two was fucked. definitely not as bad as part one, but no, it was but still he's bad. still fucked. Yeah. The Albert Fish is the the he takes the crown as the most fucked up serial killer like I have ever that is the read about the book. What the what the fuck? Literally what the fuck. What the fuck? What the fuck? Everything about this case is what the fuck. Literally what the What fuck? the Fuck. Albert Fish, nasty, nasty, nasty and just man. So
1: you know, me and Emily Emily and I. We are yucking y'all's yum.
0: I <laughs> I hate to kink shame, but I am I'm yucking I'm, your yum. I'm young. doing it. I'm so sorry. I'm kink shaming. I understand that it could be two consenting adults. I the don't give a damn. Is home, nasty. but I'm sorry. I am kink. Do <laughs> you remember that one vine that was like kink shaving? Is my kink. Did you ever see <laughs> that one? No. <laughs> That's like one of my favorites. Like kink shaving is my kink. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally us right now. <laughs> kink
1: shaving is our kink. Yeah.
0: No. I mean. Uh, uh, Whatever. It,
1: definitely a lot to digest.
0: Whatever floats your goat, I guess, but it's not for me. It's not for me. Never will be. No. Never will be. No, no, no. I watched Two Girls One Cup completely against my will, and it no, scarred no, no, me. No,
1: no. I never watched it. It traumatized did. me.
0: I don't even know. I think, honestly, I think me and I, I think me and my sister were looking for it one day. That's funny. Because <laughs> yeah, uh, that was just the shit you did back when the internet was first. Thing, oh my god, this, blah, 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 And then you fucking scarred yourself. Yeah. So, Yeah, um, word of advice, don't look up things like that on the internet that you don't want to see, because it will traumatize you for the rest of your
1: what life. The blue <laughs> no, seriously.
0: <laughs> like, why the fuck were we just casually Googling that shit?
1: Like, oh, oh I saw so, so many, many dicks so so on Omegle and Chatroulette. We're like 14.
0: Yes! I I'm saw, like, the first dick I ever saw
1: was on Chatroulette. Chat roulette. I, chat, I feel that. like chat
0: roulette was worse than Omegle. Girl.
1: Because
0: just, dude, I remember, yeah, it was some fuck shit. I was over at one of my friends' house, and we were literally like, let's go in chat roulette. And the, I'm pretty sure the first the first thing we saw, the first time we signed on to chat roulette was just a big old dick.
1: Jesus.
0: Right in the screen. Dicks. And you're like, I know, we literally, like, fucking slammed, like, the laptop shut.
1: We're like, what the fuck? Yeah, we were literally, like, 13 or 14. First dick I ever saw was on Chat Roulette. Carter said, what? He's
0: like, mommy, what did you say? <laughs> the only men I trust. Carter and is Carter and Ralph. <laughs> Well, dude, it's fucking 10-12. Yeah, I, I think it's time, time for us home. to wrap this shit up. So <laughs> just, you know, do my closing. If you're still listening, if you made it this far, thank you so much. We appreciate you. Uh, if you like this episode, if you like this podcast, please give us a five-star rating on Spotify and mm-hmm. Apple Podcasts. It really does help us out a lot. You can also follow us on Instagram at TSRH podcast, where we post photos relevant to every single episode. Um, if you don't have Instagram, if you have Facebook and you would rather follow us there, we are on Facebook at TSRH podcast as well. Um, if you would like to send us an email, if you have case recommendations, if you have listener stories, we would love, love, love to read them. You can email us at TSRHpodcast at gmail.com. Also go check out Next Stop Gypsy, as you heard in the beginning of this episode. They're really fantastic podcasts. I've been listening to them a ton lately because I'm always looking for new podcasts to listen to. Oh, good. Oh, <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening. Autumn, do you have anything else to say to the people? a goddamn thing, because I'm tired. It is late. We are tired, but we will see you in the next one. Uh, bye. Bye. <laughs>